Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Volume 604, Is It a Musical? September 5th, 2015. Subscribe with RSS or iTunes and don't miss an episode. This episode, we've got Paul Gordon, the composer and lyricist for the new off-Broadway musical, Daddy Longlegs. We also talk to the members of cabaret duo Tasty Skank, Kate Rinders from Something Rotten and Wicked, and Sarah Litzinger of Beauty and the Beast. We close with an enlightening discussion with Brandon Haldine and Peter Rothstein of NAMT discussing the NAMT Festival. We also got a special giveaway going on for The Marvels, a new book by Brian Selznick, So, hold on tight. Special thanks to our location sponsor. Thank you, Sid Gold's Request Room. New York City's original rock and roll piano bar for great cocktails and live piano karaoke with Joe McGinty. Sid Gold's Request Room, located at West 26th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues. Hi guys, this is Reggie Watts. You're listening to Broadway Bullet. Check out my interview in the next Broadway Bullet. Another episode of Broadway Bullet is underway. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And before we get to our first interview with Paul Gordon about his new show, Daddy Long Legs, thought you might enjoy hearing a demo that he had recorded with the star and still current star, Megan McGinnis. So, before the interview, here is The Anyone Secret of Happiness. Anyone can rise and face a crushing tragedy with courage, but to meet the petty hazards of the day with a laugh, I really think that requires spirit. I've discovered the secret of happiness is learning how to glide. I've discovered the secret of happiness is just enjoy the ride. Don't let the journey be tainted by pride. And I've discovered the secret of happiness is not to mourn the past. I've discovered the secret of happiness is not to run too fast. You can still beat them by coming in last Cause the secret, the secret of happiness is I've discovered the secret of happiness is Not to be afraid I've discovered the secret of happiness is All illusions fade Don't fear the future, you'll just be delayed the secret of happiness is living in the now, living in the time it takes to blink, I think is how we're meant to be living. I've discovered the secret of happiness is following my will. I've discovered of happiness is the we can run that hill. Happiness comes when we learn to be still and the secret, the secret of happiness is 
I'm sitting here with Paul Gordon, who is the composer for the new two-person musical, Daddy Long Legs, which is opening off-Broadway in September. Uh, I don't think even rehearsals, et cetera, of all that have started while I'm here, but Paul Gordon was kind enough to join us in the studio, uh, who has composed other things, such as Jane Eyre and a whole bunch of stuff. Welcome with us. Thank you. Nice to be here. All right. So uh, how did Daddy Long Legs come about for you as a composer? I guess just... I can help clue in, but the story of when did you write it? How did it get picked up? Um, yeah, well, uh, John Caird, who I worked with on Jane Eyre, who's the director of Jane Eyre and Les Miserables, um, we were really searching for what our next show was going to be after Jane Eyre. And John's wife, Malko, um, who grew up in Japan, uh, was really attracted to a children's novel called Daddy Long Legs, written by Gene Webster, that was very popular in Japan. Not as popular in the States, interestingly. And it's an American novel written by Gene Webster, who is Mark Twain's great-grandniece. And I'd never heard of it, and John sent it over to me, and I read it, and I thought it would be a lovely idea for a musical, and that was sort of how it came to be. Okay. So how long, I mean, musicals can be very long in the writing process, yes. to production. So first off, how long from when you started writing it to its New York off-Broadway premiere? Yeah, I'm sure my producers will be very upset with me if I actually tell you the honest no, truth to that the, answer. We want but the I, honest truth. But we, I'm going to tell you anyway, yeah. we really started working on Daddy Long Legs uh, while Jane Eyre was happening in uh, La Jolla, which would make that 1998, I think. You could probably check me. I could be wrong. Maybe so it was 19 years. Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I think it was 1999. Okay. So I think that's when we started working on it. Um, and, you know, it's been a slow process. It was it was originally conceived as a one-person musical. It's sort of like a cabaret, one-woman show that could be done in 80 minutes. And then we added another, then we added the other second character of Jervie to the piece. And we actually started working with David Parsons, the choreographer. And it was a dance show for quite a while. For quite a few years, we were developing it as this unbelievable modern dance show with David Parsons and John Caird working together. It was really fabulous, but it was super expensive to do and put on, and there just wasn't a venue for it. So we sort of gave it up, and years passed. I mean, the show just sat on the shelf for a really long time. And now, then Now, at this point, had you already obtained the rights to it? or um, It's in the public domain, oh, it is. so okay, we so. did not need the rights, which is generally the kind of material that I'm attracted to, <laughs> where you don't really have to work out right situations, which can be very painful and time-consuming and expensive. So um, we were sort of, you know, just leaving the show on a shelf and onto other projects, which we did for quite a few years. Then I was introduced to producer Michael Jackowitz, and who instantly fell in love with the piece, and he was working out of the Rubicon Theater in L.A. at the time. And we started to develop the piece with Michael Jackowitz and Carolyn Burns at the Rubicon, and as they say, the rest is history. And then that's where this particular phase of the development started. Who thought it would be a good idea to do another commercial run off-Broadway? Off-Broadway's gotten difficult. Yes, it's really difficult. So, I mean, the truth is, is that, you know, in all honesty, we wanted to go on Broadway. But um, the theater owners uh, wouldn't even consider us if we didn't have a celebrity as one of the two main characters. And we just are refusing to play that game right now. We want the piece to be great. And if we felt like there were a celebrity that was equipped to do either of these roles, we would certainly consider it. We're not stupid. Mm -hmm. But um, what we're really trying to focus on with Daddy Long Legs is bringing the audience the best possible show. So because it's a two-hander and we are reducing our band from six musicians to three musicians, we feel that the off-Broadway scenario could potentially work. We know how hard it is. We know that we, we know what we're up against. And we're up against, you know, a lot of shows opening in the fall on Broadway. Um, but Ken Davenport is a highly creative producer. He's had a lot of success off-Broadway in the past. 
He's very adept at social media. And, you know, we're excited by the possibilities. Do we know this is going to be successful? Of course not. But we hope that with also we have we have two amazing actors in the show. We have Megan McGinnis and Paul Nolan. And I think when people see that see their performances, Megan's been doing the show since 2008 or nine, I believe. She's gotten probably the best reviews of an actor, not only that I've ever worked with, but that I've ever read, really. Her reviews have been so startlingly, okay, I'm not going to say that word, have been so amazingly um, powerful that I'm just blown away by how people respond to her performance. I'm used to it. I've seen it a million times. But I'm really excited that Megan is going to do this show in New York City, and I think people are going to be really struck by the brilliance of her performance. So for you as a composer, and you're, you're just a composer, right? Or do you do lyrics as well? Uh, lyrics and, and I do lyrics and music on this one. Okay. Um, as a composer, I, I just want to say, it's like, sometimes it can be very easy to talk about lyrics. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm gonna, <laughs> I want to I go to the harder end. As a composer, what are you trying to do to set up with the songs, to set up the mood and tell the story through the music itself and not just the lyrics? I'm always informed by the text of where the music will go. And initially, I'm, I, I write generally um, compositionally first before I write lyrics. Sometimes I'll have a lyrical idea or a title or a line or what I want to say. But the music is essentially critically important to me that it, 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 it really do exactly what your question asks. It sets up the song, defines the character, tells us what the moment is about, and musically, I like to try to create something that I feel like expresses the character's emotions in the moment. But once I do that, I just want to make sure that whatever I'm writing, I fall in love with personally. And what I mean by that is that it's sort of easy to write music sometimes. I mean, music, as your question implied, lyrics are sort of, lyrics are much more difficult to get right and to do what you want it to do. I think a lot of composers, we all fall into the trap of, you know, we'd, we've done this our whole lives. It's pretty, I, I could create, I could create a song in about three minutes pretty easily musically that would pass as just, oh, that's okay. That's pretty good. Um, but to really get music that is special, that will last through time, one hopes, you have to work incredibly hard. And so what I'm interested in musically is making sure that to me, this is just to my taste, I can't, I can't say how anyone else will feel, but to me, I want to be hooked on something melodically, you know, as soon as I hear it, as soon as I feel it. So I try really hard to do that, and that's always my main intention musically. Of course, I want to do dramatically what the show wants to do, but there is definitely a musical, I, I, you know, there, there is a musical goal to be achieved each time one attempts to write a song. How difficult is it to sustain interest throughout a full show as a composer, knowing you only have two voices there to work with? Really hard. Um, I think it's really difficult to sustain interest in any show, even if you have 10 or 15 actors, because I think it's really easy to get bored musically with any score. And when you have the great composers, the Stephen Sondheims and Leonard Bernstein, you know, they have found ways to never make you feel bored with their score to keep variety going. But um, with Daddy Longlegs, I think the, the, the difficulty is that Jerusha, the female protagonist, has a lot of the songs, and she has, Megan has an incredibly beautiful voice, but it's a particular kind of voice. And then throughout the evening, you might, your ears might want variety. So we do have another actor. We have the incredible Paul Nolan, who has an amazing voice, and we have Jervy songs, and so we try to mix and match. We try to keep the variety going. But there will be people that will say, oh, the music all sounds alike. You know, it's just inevitable, especially when you have three instruments and you have two actors. So hopefully the, the, the quality of the score, the quality of the storytelling and the actors on the stage will allow the audience to have a varied evening and hopefully an enjoyable evening. Now, you said this started off in your mind. It was originally doing it for six instruments and now yes. cutting it to three. Yeah. Um, are you involved with the orchestrations at all? Um, I did the original orchestrations, and now Brad Hawk, our musical director, has taken over, and he's a much better orchestrator than I am. So he is now currently doing the new orchestrations and the reduction. Are you having input, and how hard is it to 
keep the feel, you know, what everything you want in the arrangement as you reduce the parts? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. You know, you, you, I suppose you, it's, it helps at least a little bit moving if you feel that he's a better orchestrator than at yeah, least if absolutely. you're reducing your... And well, actually, he did the last set of orchestrations, so we're reducing his orchestrations based on okay. my original orchestrations. <laughs> um, but, but in a way, you know, what I'm, I, I'm looking at the glass half full, and I'm, and I'm going, you know what? You know, you break down these songs. I wrote most of... I wrote these songs either on piano or guitar, obviously. And, you know, when... When you have drums and bass uh, as as part of your musical vocabulary, there is a particular sound that comes out. And now stripping it down, we're going to have piano, cello, and guitar, which is really interesting. And I think, you know, you'll hear the essence of the songs. You'll hear essentially the songs I wrote on piano or guitar with a couple of added instruments. So the songs will really be, these are the songs I wrote. These are, this is how it sounded. And hopefully we we hope that will sustain the evening. I mean, it's scary, you know, doing it with three instruments. But the truth is, is we've done the show with just piano and people have been affected. So I feel like here it is. Here's our show. It's in the raw. It's intimate. You're going to get what you're going to get. And hopefully you'll like it. <laughs> so what is this? The story, at least the story you want to tell in a nutshell without giving any spoilers. You know? Yeah, the story is the story of... Uh, uh, so the, the story takes place in... Um, in New England, it's around 1912, and the oldest orphan in the John Greer home is Jerusha Abbott. And uh, she's, you know, it, it's not a horrible place. It's not like, you know, Jane Eyre, where she's been living in these horrible conditions in Lowood School. It's just a, an orphanage that she doesn't want to be in anymore. And so one of the benefactors of the school decides that he's going to send her to college to educate her to become a writer because she's very talented. She's very smart. She's very witty, this character. And the novel is all her letters to who she dubs as Daddy Longlegs because she never meets this guy. She doesn't know what he looks like. And his condition to sending her to school is that she write him a letter once a month um, just telling of her daily life like she would to her parents if she had parents. And, she, and he's never guaranteed to read the letters or ever write her back. So the novel is a series of her letters to him that are fabulous, witty, profound. She was a feminist ahead of her time. And it's an incredible look into this young girl's life and experiences. But now in, our, in, in the book and in our musical, it's also a love story. And, you know, I don't want to... Actually, I can't give it away because yeah. I was just going to tell you the whole story. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a wonderful, it's just a wonderful, sweet story. It's not profound. It's not going to change the world. It's not edgy. It's not like in a changed musical theater as we know it. But I think it will be a just really uplifting night in the theater and make the people that connect to this kind of material feel good when they walk out. So would you like any... Uh Oh, pause. You've seen what? Anyway, kind of some closing thoughts that you'd like to to leave us with in this. Like in terms of for for all our listeners, like a lot, most of our listeners are in one form or another, either in the business or trying okay. to be in the business. Well, so basically, closing thought. I will share like a really great, like a little story that meant something to me. I I was in rehearsal for Sense and Sensibility, um, you know, whatever, a few months ago, and I opened my email and I got an email and it said from Adam Gettle. And I just like stared at it for a second going, okay, somebody's playing a joke on me. Mm -hmm. And I opened up this email and it was indeed from Adam. And it, I, I can't re exactly recall what it said, but it said something like, hey, Paul, I'm a writer of musical theater. Um, and, you know, something about he enjoys my work. And he was interested in, in using a song of mine in a master class that he was teaching. And I just, you know, I, I think Adam is, is just such a... An incredible genius. I think he's one of our finest musical theater writers. I I, I just am in awe of the score of Light in the Piazza. Um, so it was incredibly thrilling to get an email from him. But I had to go up to Megan first and said and say, "Is this real?" And Megan is like a master Googler, and so instantly she went, "Yep, he's really teaching a master class. I really think this is from him." So I just wrote him back and I said, "Hey, I th I thought I was really being punked, but this is <laughs> this is kind of amazing." And it, and it just, and it really helped me in a sense because, you know, um, he's one of my idols and I'm always the most vulnerable around the time a musical opens and you get reviewed by everybody. And getting reviewed is always really challenging because, you know, not all critics love you. And when you're developing a show, reviews are super important. 
So they can hurt you, and sometimes they can't help you. So for me, it was just this moment of, oh, Adam Gettle likes me. Nothing else matters. <laughs> and that was, that was really a cool moment. And um, I don't know. That's just something I thought I'd check. All right. Well, best of luck as Daddy Long Legs heads into its run. Thank you. And Thank you. And I'll get to follow up with that when I come yeah, back into New York. And please do. When you when you coming back? Uh, December, I think. Okay. Well, about hopefully December. we'll still be running. Come check out the show and say hello. And, and uh, yeah. It's been really fun. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by talking. Hang out for a couple minutes. You'll probably okay. see Kate. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> if you are a regular listener, or if you have just discovered Broadway Bullet, I have just set up a Patreon page. Please support our program by pledging a dollar amount for each podcast episode. I'm not going to make anything from these donations. All donations will go to expenses in producing the program and providing flexible, part-time jobs to theater students for helping with the editing, follow-up, and more. Visit patreon.com slash broadwaybullet to contribute, or just click the link on our main webpage. Thanks in advance for your support in creating quality theater podcast programming. Cabaret Corner Kate Reinders was previously one of the Glindas in Wicked on Broadway, and Sarah Litzinger is the longest-running Belle on Broadway, and together, they are tasty skank, because apart, they just aren't skanky enough. We had them early on, on Volume 2 of Broadway Bullet, and there they performed live on our podcast for the first time, the sex song, but they are now back together and performing again, and so I wanted to touch base with them. So, before we get to that interview, why don't we hear, though, one more song from the group? I'm Joe Schmo. These are the average Joes. Thank you. I have no expectations. That's what I try to tell myself. Guess I better stop denying. Cause denial's not good for my health. And I hardly even know you. But what I see I adore me, love you long time. And you probably think this is just crazy talking, but I've never felt like this before. I've been waiting for so long for you to come and rock my world. Rock it to me, yeah. You've been searching for someone. I hope that I should be that girl. Pick her, pick her. You hardly even know me, but I assure you.
Today, by the lovely, classy, intelligent, and sophisticated ladies of Tasty Skank. Hi! Oh, so classy. <laughs> classy and brassy. <laughs> Kate Reiners, who is currently in uh, Something Rotten on Broadway, and her partner, Sarah Litzinger, who's also done a lot most recently in Kid Victory at the Signature, Signature Theater, Theater, which was John Kander's new piece. All right. So, um, why don't you first tell us about the history of Tasty Skank, which I think episode two or three, way early on, I know that you were on here and they can hear. Oh yeah, hi. A classic. Uh, yes. Well, Tasty Skank began um, when, when we became friends instantly. We were doing a show called Nerds at New York Stage and Film. Yep. Uh, summer of two thousand four. Two thousand way back when. <laughs> yeah, mm, still friends. And when you were. Ten. Yes, of course. we were. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Beautiful, young, as we still are. And we became best friends immediately. Yes, and we were sitting next to each other in rehearsal, and she was like, oh my gosh, I have that same dress in another color. Let's wear them. Let's be this, friends. Yeah, let's wear them tomorrow at the same time and be besties. <laughs> <laughs> so it started that way, where we were just hanging out all the time, and, um, and then we were in L.A. visiting our friend Paul Gordon, Paul Gordon oh, was sitting right next to oh, us. Oh, hey. I'm not really here. He's not, he's really, not really here. Really he interviewed this segment right before you two. And <laughs> he's hanging around because I guess he's your great uh, birth daddy. Yeah, he's the tasty skank birth father. We were <laughs> baby daddy. You know, just kind of like playing some guitar skanker. over at his place, hanging out. And he was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, you guys should write a song. And we're like, what should we write a song about? And he said, something you love. And so Sarah started playing and I started singing about In-N-Out Burger. Because we had been there every day of the week. And I am sad and I miss In-N-Out. Yes. Come east, In-N-Out. Come east. Please. (laughs) We want your black and white shakes. So we wrote the song called In-N-Out about In-N-Out Burger. Mm -hmm. And then we wrote a song about hydrocodone, which is Vicodin. Which uh, is also Something one of our we other love. great loves, <laughs> and um, and then what another song about? Oh, the other oh. one we wrote was like it ended up not being a Tasty Skank song. It was just kind of like a pop rock song. But it was after the first two songs that we said, "Oh, we're a band. We have two songs." Yeah. And so then we were like, "Well, if you've written two songs, then you need a name." Yeah. And, and so what we, should our name be? Yeah. Because we're like naughty but nice, sugar and spice, mm-hmm. salty and sweet. And then we were just like, oh, yeah, a tasty skank. And we're like, boom, oh, my gosh, yes, with an I, heart over the I. Yes, exclamation point, XOXO. So now, how many gigs did you do? Now, as I understand, there was a hiatus of Tasty Skank. You're back and you're better than ever. Like, it's oh, like yeah. Backstreet Boys. The, we're but, back and older wait, than ever. I'm a little less tasty, a little more skank. But listen, we got a smoke and mirrors. Yeah, we're actually more rappers now. now. We have some rap. Yeah, we do rap um, in some of our new music. You know, we lay down some well, <laughs> nice, tasty rhymes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and some beats. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what happened with Tasty Skank is that we didn't mean for it to be, be anything, anything, but. It wasn't a nasty breakup that's going to be like on. A new to re inspire no, VH1 if, behind the If that's music. gonna get us a show, then we can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, totally. Like Tenacious D. Yeah, yeah, totally. But no, we we did it for fun and then we um, started doing shows. Started doing shows, then we won this big award, and then we got a development deal with Sony, and then it was the writer strike, and then we kinda got burned out, and then we were just sort of like, uh we're we're tired of We wanted to kind of see who we were on our own at that point because we were devoting almost everything to Tasty Skank when we had the deal with Sony. Um, And because of the writer's strike, that deal was uh, elongated. And Mm -hmm. so we were kind of under their thumb a little bit. But um, 
now, but, you know, now that we're older, we realize we don't wiser. need, yeah, we don't need deals with people. We want to just do what we want to do. And we want to have fun doing it. So now we're back to why we started doing it in the first place, which is actually really refreshing because we go out there and we have fun and, you know, we're like honey badgers. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But yeah, and I went and I lived in LA for a few years and that's, that's hard to be skanking together. When we're on separate coasts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we, you know, did a couple videos out in L.A., like our Matthew McConaughey video on the beach. Yeah. Their boyfriend, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. he's our full-time BF. So. <laughs> he doesn't know that, but <laughs> it's okay. better that way. So, so how was the gig? You, you just finished a gig. 54 Below, is yep. that right? We it was, did. It was some summer skanking. Yeah, we did some summer skanking. Polly was there. Sorry, was we call Paul fantastic. Gordon Polly. Mm-hmm. Wait, what'd you say? We were what? It was fantastic. That's what I want to say. We got high marks from Paul Gordon people. Yeah. High, high marks. I hear he's very critical of you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He doesn't think we're cute or funny or anything. I don't dig them at all. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what are the future plans now with Tasty Skank coming up? I think, you know, we're just continuing to write. We realized um, after we did this last show, we have a song called I Heart Dirty Boys. I think we did it on the other podcast mm-hmm. that we did with you. And we're like, wait a second. We don't heart dirty boys anymore. We actually need rich men. So we, <laughs> we started watching. old rich men. Who like, are on their deathbeds. Yes. So <laughs> yes. we've matured with what we need and what we want. So that the new material is sort of going in that direction. And then some of the stuff that already exists, we're, we always continue to sort of rewrite lyrics to make ourselves feel like it's fresh again. So we just want to continue to do shows and have fun and just kind of do it our yeah, way. Exactly. We're doing it for us. And that's always better. So uh, what who cares? <laughs> Will women hear us roar? <laughs> how does this balance, um, or, or how does this keep you sane or whatnot, so to speak, between your uh, your other paid gigs, which are quite nice? I mean, it's fancy. Right. <laughs> you know, we got Ms. Reinders on yeah, Broadway no, right so now. Yeah, so fancy. No, well, uh, well... After wearing a corset and a you were, big You were fat. nominated this year, weren't you? Um, no. You didn't? You, oh, we. You no, were I thanks nom- for bringing that up, Michael. I, you know Sorry, what? I, I was like, nominated sh- for Best Puritan on Broadway. <laughs> um, but Brooks Ashmanskis won, actually. <laughs> um, no, we, I... Maybe I, I just maybe I just so wanted to see you on the list that I thought you were there nominated because yeah, I was so excited yeah. that you're. She's amazing yeah. in the show. Oh, too. please, no, who cares? Don't worry about it. No, our show did get ten nominations though. Our show's super awesome. We only won one, but we got ten nomins, and um, and our show we just have so much fun because it's just a bunch of fun assholes just having fun on stage. I can't swear. Well, I, yes, can. Can. I can. Yeah, yeah we can share, right? She, she, I've already dropped a bunch swore. of... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I think they see Tasty Skank on yeah, you know, know. the interview. They're they not going to... Yeah, no, I, I mean, I love I love my show, but doing eight shows a week um, is a lot. And wearing a corset and a bustle and a really heavy dress is a lot. So I like to be sluttier and... M- Less clothed and <laughs> rapping with Sarah by my side, for sure. That balances everything out. Yeah, actually, Tasty Skink, I think, makes us feel saner. Yeah, for sure. Which is insane that it does, but it really does. It's mm-hmm. kind of a balance for us. I mean, mm-hmm. like it creates balance for us. So. Yeah. So moving on into both your great careers, and I want to really talk, because I've had talked to you before, and you're both doing wonderfully well in your careers, uh, but... I can't believe it. it's been like nine years. But since just we, above, above, above. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. 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 But, you, but guys, we look you guys younger. still do very well. And you do. You have an age to be. Seriously, seriously, you look fantastic. By the way, people, it's really dark. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I'm curious your thoughts on a, a deeper issue that I'm kind of making a big uh, shouting rallying point of mine for this next um this next season coming up, mm-hmm. which has become really important to me as I've become an educator. And you know, and 70% of my students at the university are women. And as I search hard to find roles for a season, I find it very hard to find a season that can be approximately 70% women, you know. In yeah. the, um, and, and even mu- musical theater used to be the land of women, but I've noticed even the past mm-hmm. few years, and I don't want to necessarily call out your show on, on 
Too bad, but my, my girlfriend did see your show. And you came absolutely home. call out my show. And, the two and, girls. And I got mm-hmm. home, and the Small first thing parts. I saw the program, and I go, you got to be kidding. Two women? And Small, too, when used you to see be, it. It used to be women ruled yes. musical theater. Yeah. And now even it seems like recently the same disparity of it's like 80% men, 20% women roles is now creeping into new musical theater as well. And how does that... But also like um, female roles that are are strong too. Yeah. That's really hard to find. I think, um, you know, I don't know. I think that's why women have to become writers. And Polly just needs and to Polly write. And Polly also writes for women. He's well, got my shows just need to go to Broadway because I do write for women. <laughs> he does. Well, there, those shows are out there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we have great female parts on a show that the three of us are doing together called The Scrooge. Yep. Um, where uh, Sarah is Sissy Jupe and Kate is Estella Scrooge. And it's a show that does have strong female characters. And a lot of the stuff that the three of us work on, you know, yes. we, we always think about that. And I agree, even though I'm hijacking this interview, <laughs> is, that, is that there should be more uh, female-centric shows on Broadway. And I think the three of us are very well aware of that and are trying to change that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think um, it, it has lessened, you know, Gone are the days of, you know, Mary Martin, where, you know, all those role, all those iconic roles. It doesn't seem like they come around as often. Um, so, writers, potential writers. Well, it was even like you know, Ken Davenport well, had his, you know, infographic of shows that have recouped in the past fifteen years. It was right. something like eighty-five percent had a male lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which definitely was not the case from, I would say the. 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, I would bet. But you even notice, too, in, like, um, Broadway shows where the woman is the lead, the man usually gets the last bow anyway. So it's kind of odd. Really? WTF world. What's going on? Who gets the last bow in in Beauty and the Beast? Was it the Beast? The Beast. But Belle was was a bigger part. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's also why Wicked is so popular, too, because it's a, it's a love story, friendship love story between two women, two strong female characters. Um, so yeah, Does Fiero take the last bow? <laughs> <laughs> no, that no. bitch. Hey, <laughs> right all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> but how does it feel as, as actresses out there auditioning? Does it, is it feeling more competitive, less competitive? I mean... You guys have continued to work and do very well, but like, there's clearly like yeah. I, I'm guessing too. Even in the professional world, there's more women auditioning out there. I think it gets harder yeah. because as you get older, new crops keep coming in, and it just you keep evolving into different age groups. And so, I think that at least for me, I'm, a, I'm just a tad older than Kate, just a, no, just a little bit. No, but <laughs> um, the roles are fewer, but. Some of them seem like they're a little uh, juicier, a little bit better. Like they're not like a typical ingenue where that can be become very stale. Um, so as you get older, maybe some of the roles seem to have like a little more meat. But Kate's role in, in Something Rotten, although it's not a huge role, um, I think it really has it like complements her talents. And she's able to bring forth what she does really well. I mean, you want to see more of it. But well, Casey Nicola let me do what I wanted <laughs> to do, pretty much. Uh, well, he did it with all of us, which is, I think, why the show is so great, because we're all doing our own thing. But, um, no, I mean, that's one of the reasons I moved to L.A. in a way, because once you're Glinda and you're Belle, and you... And she pointed she, to Sarah. Sarah is Broadway's longest running Belle. And we started Tasty Skank when I was being Glinda and she was Belle. And somebody asked us to do a Broadway show. And we mm-hmm. said, um, we're not going to, we're going to do a non Broadway concert of stuff we've made. So that was the birth of Tasty Skank. But I think after we did those roles, it is sort of like, well, then what? And not that we don't love our, our leading ladies of now. Like, yes. not that we don't love Kelly O'Hara and Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel and Sutton Foster. Yeah. But however many roles there are, they're going to do them. And it's harder to get those roles. So, yeah. So, and that's great. But um, sort of in the meantime, I was like, well, I guess, I mean, I can't do Wicked for like 15 years. I mean, maybe I could have. David Stone, <laughs> if you're <laughs> listening. Um, no, yeah. but uh, yeah, there aren't that many roles. And there are, are people that are already at the top who are claiming them before. And that's a, also another reason, um, like, I feel like Tasty Skank sort of, 
it did start out of fun, but it really was our answer to our, our first show that Tasty Skank performed. She was Glinda and I was Belle, and we called our show On Janots. So it was sort <laughs> of like the answer, or we were the antithesis of, you know, these two roles, and it was sort of like... Liberating. Liberating, exactly. Very good word. That's what I was sort of searching See, for. See, I didn't even go to college. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Any parting shots you'd like to give out to your listeners? About the industry, one last. Just keep living. Just be you. Be as weird as possible. Yep. Be creative. Um, you know, maybe try to, you know, do your own stuff so you feel like you have control in your life. And, um, you know, work hard, play hard, baby. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming down. I also want to remind everybody that we carry the full unedited interviews with all of our guests at BroadwayBullet.com, too. So if you're really into what anybody's saying, be sure to check that out. I often save lots of great like industry tips um, for the unaired portion that gets kind of into real specifics. So if they're doing something you like to do or you want to work with someone like them, I urge you to check those out. The next promotional spot is available for your business. Special thanks to our travel sponsor, Travel sponsor is Michael Gilbo. Yep, that's me. At the moment, I'm fronting all these expenses out of pocket. In return, I encourage you, please visit my website, michaelgilbo.com. Uh, you can sign up for my mailing list. I do music, playwriting, audiobooks, and I give away lots of free stuff to people on my list uh, based on what you're interested in. So stop by michaelgilbo.com. I'm the travel sponsor. Appreciate it. <laughs> Listening room. I'd also like to remind all the musical theater composers out there, or if you know someone who is a composer, that we like to feature their demos, their good quality uh, music demos in the program for other people to hear. I currently don't have any waiting in the wings, so why don't you email me at broadwaybulletnyc at gmail.com. Send me your tracks, tell me a little bit about yourself, what they're about, and uh, maybe you'll put it on. But since I don't have a track today, I figure... Eh, I'll play one of mine. This song is actually from uh, my thesis musical that I wrote, uh, finishing my MFA. The musical's called The Magnificent Illusion. It's about a magician in World War II occupied Paris. And uh, the setup of this song is it's Florence uh, having one of her salons, Chez Florence, and all the artists are about ready to get back to performing in France, and Marcos is wavering. So uh, she and the cast, it's uh, sung solo here, by a friend of mine, Laura Beth Kirk. Uh, but the song in the show is meant to be a group number. But I pretty much really like her vocal performance. So this is City of Light from The Magnificent Illusion. You're gathered here today Because you're the brightest Minds and talents I know We've taken our licks But their kicks haven't the slightest chance At concealing our glow after dusk, our streets lay dark, but we'll put stars back in the sky. Shine the way and lead on, make them understand why. Even if all the lights are out, we're still the city of a light. Change what we're about when we combine. We ignite. We're still alive. We're still the heart of the city of light. In Shout collaboration Our ideas and skills should be seen Our writers need a page Some a stage and an ovation New ideas need a place to convene They call for a curfew now But they can't put us to bed <laughs> We'll give them hope for freedom when they look up overhead They'll see all the 
Again, that was City of Light from the Magnificent Illusion, sung by my friend Laura Beth Kirk, uh, who just recently moved to Great Falls after getting her theater degree. I hope you enjoyed that and that you weren't just indulging me. Uh, But even so, please, please uh, tell all your friends who are composers to send me their music, uh, broadwaybulletnyc at gmail.com. Might play another song or two from the show in the future if I'm low on songs, but don't let that stop you from telling everybody to send stuff in. I really like promoting other people. Well, we still got a contest coming up to figure out how you can get the Marvels book by Brian Selznick from Scholastic Books. That'll be right after this next interview. Festival feature. I am here with Brandon Holding and Peter Rothstein from NAMPT. National Association of Musical Theater. National Alliance. For National Alliance yep. for Musical Theater. And uh, they're here to talk about the various stuff that goes on with NAMT, as well as the NAMP Festival. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Yeah, great. So I guess first, to uh, put it all in context, what is NAMP? Um, so uh, this is Brandon. I am the Newark's director of the National Alliance for Musical Theater and the producing director of NAMP's Festival. Uh, NAMT is a member service organization made up of over 220 members around the world. All of our musical theater producers, either theaters or developing houses or universities, and we all share a common passion for the development of new musicals and the continuing of the current existing canon of musicals. So it's basically a gigantic network of theaters and producers around the world who are all very pro-musicals. And Peter is actually our secretary of the board, and an AMT member, and past festival committee member, um, and a really great example of uh, what uh, an AMT member is like. Uh, so, um, fest- festival is what you want? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the festival, uh, so NAMT was founded in 1986, um, and in 1989, um, uh, a few of them had this brilliant uh, idea where they said, hey, Looking at the shows that are currently on Broadway at that time, they said, we're probably not going to get a lot of these properties for years, which was really smart because it was, you know, Cats and Phantom um, and Les Mis. And they said, let's, uh, we're all developing great musicals at all of our theaters. It's really expensive if all of us fly around to each other's theaters. Let's bring the best of the best from the membership to New York City around our fall conference and share and see if we can get a future life for our shows. Jump forward 27 years, it's no longer just about the NAMT members sharing shows with each other. It's actually shows from around the world and across the industry. Um, And now it's about finding the eight next great new musicals of all sizes and styles and uh, levels of development um, to share with the industry every October. Um, And the festival itself now is two days uh, at New World Stages. Um, And over those courses, two days, uh, the industry would get a chance to see eight musicals and 45-minute stage presentations, uh, basically concerts. Uh, 
So they go see those eight shows, and if they stick with us the whole time uh, and have the right level pass, they can also see two concerts, four cabarets, a Meet the Writers panel, and if they're a member or uh, a VIP, they also have a party. So it's kind of two days and a night of super crammed full of all new musicals, a bunch of writers, you get to see a bunch of new properties, and our goal is to help those shows and those writers take the next steps, is what we're really about. So what we do is that we bring the people in the room, like Peter, who can take a show and take it to the next step. So it is not fully accessible to the public, it is mostly for the industry, because we want every seat to be filled with someone who can help move the art form forward and these shows and these writers' careers forward. Yeah, and I think that's where it's like, I've heard about NAMD a lot. I think you have a well place, but because of this, it's not public, like the New York Musical Theater Festival mm-hmm. or the Fringe. It's a little more shrouded in mystery of, uh, you know, <laughs> of how to get involved. So how does a new writer with a great new musical get their show to be a part of NAMD? All they need to do is send it in. We have an application process that starts in the fall and finishes in early winter. Um, we accept shows from just about anyone. The only kind of criteria we have for a new show is that a member of the industry needs to endorse it. Uh, because the people uh, who select the festival um, through a blind process are all NAMT members, and they're really busy. People like Peter, who's running a theater, and I'm going to ask him if he's on the committee to read somewhere between 25 and 40 shows in four months while running a theater. Um, we need one of their peers to say, hey, I've read this show. It's worth your time. So it's the only hurdle we have. Other than that, you know, we get over 220 submissions every year um, from all around the world. And the like who, who's hurdle. acceptable as a peer to recommend it? Uh, a producer, an agent, or an AMT member. Uh, not directors, not choreographers, just to help narrow down the list a little bit. But anyone who produces theater, um, or runs a theater, or is an agent, can send it in. And people never have problems finding people mm-hmm. to send it in. There's thousands of people who can endorse it. But that's the only hurdle. And then, you know, getting your act together in time to send in the script and the demo, yeah. and that's the other hurdle. Uh, but past that, there's not a bunch of doors to get through for us. What, now I think the other thing that kind of leaves it a lot shrouded in mystery is, you know, I do know that it's a 45, like as you said, a 45 minute presentation. What recommendations do you tell the the writers, the producers, when they're putting the show together? How do they condense their two-hour and 15-minute masterpiece down to 45 minutes and, and convey what the show's about? We actually, we're incredibly hands-on. We don't present the festival, we produce it. Okay. And we're very big on that. So I actually had uh, four uh, hour-and-a-half-long conversations yesterday with four of our teams about this, uh, where they will talk to me and to a NAMT consultant um, about you know, what's the 45 minutes gonna be like. It's not a 45 minute excerpt, it's a 45 minute trailer to sell your show. Um, and our goal is to entice people like Peter and our other members to want to read and see more. Um, and, is, and the reason we have someone, like uh, we have a member on board is for me they're our little, you know, two person sample audience. Um, so they're very important to us to help us figure out does that cut work for me? Is that cast going to be something that will entice people to come see the show? Um, because while I've been running the festival for seven years now, I've never actually been to the festival as an audience member. Um, so I am incredibly tainted. <laughs> I have no clue. Um, and I really turn to our members to say, hey, does this work for you? Because these are the people who I want to get excited about the show. I'm already excited about the show. I'm sold. Um, so we really turn to our members to help us figure out what will or won't work. With this, I definitely know that there's been many, many big successes that have come through the Damp Festival. Did you want to maybe tout some of those larger ones? Uh, sure. Our most well-known is Drowsy Chaperone. Um, that went on to Broadway. Uh, also, The Story of My Life went on to Broadway. It Should Have Been You, which is currently running and will close um, in on August 9th, came from our festival. And Thoroughly Modern Millie. Honk. Um, Songs for a New World, uh, Ordinary Days, Sea Rock City, um, Harold Ahmad, Meet John Doe, uh, Band Geeks, there's, uh, there's a lot of them. But we don't define success as going on to Broadway. Yeah. It's the show being developed, being sent to the regionals. And what any show really wants more than going to Broadway is to have a really healthy licensing life, mm-hmm. a really healthy uh Post, uh, when the writers are done with the show, they put in all the hard work, and the show's seen around the world, and they get checks 
finally for all their hard work. And that's truly how we define success is as being done and seen. I would also add to that that the festival introduces the writers to the industry. So while a particular show may not go on and have an enormous life, those writers are being introduced to a broad spectrum of the industry, and many of those writers then receive commissions or have other projects that are picked up. And so it, so it not only is about whether that show goes on, but it's about putting those writers and the people who have the, the possibility of moving them forward um, whether it's with that show or with another show, it puts them in the room together. Another thing a lot of festivals do, so if you do it, and I have no idea, so if you do it, it's no problem, because a lot of other ones do, but a lot of festivals take a percentage of the afterlife. Uh, it costs zero dollars for a writer to be in our festival. They might have to pay a small fee to apply. Uh, we pay our writers, and we take nothing. We take nothing up front. We take nothing later. If they would like to donate money to NAMT, I will gladly take it. <laughs> and it's actually a great sign how many of our writers actually come back and donate, um, not even just the successful ones, <laughs> the ones that had a great time and see our value. Uh, but all we ask for is a little two lines on the title page, hopefully, of future productions. Um, that just gives us credit. And for me, that's the most important thing. It gets the, our show out there. Um, it gets our name out there, you know, and somewhere in the Midwest in Minnesota, there's a teenager looking at cast albums and they'll be looking through Drowsy Chaperone, reading yeah. the liner notes. And there it says, well, presented at the National Alliance for Musical Theater Festival in 2006 and uh, www.namt.org. And hopefully that kid will go and click on that and learn more about NAMT. And maybe someday they'll be running a theater and they'll go, I should join NAMT because I've known about them since I was a teenager. So for us, we just want recognition and to get the name out there. Um, it's, it's not worth encumbering shows. It's not something we believe in and, or something we have any plans to do in the near future. All right. Any other parting shots you'd like to get out about uh, NAMPT, either the festival or the organization? So I know we keep saying that the festival is only open to industry members, but um, the general public, if you're a musical theater fan, it's absolutely something you can come to. Um, it just requires a donation in order to get one of the higher level passes. There's also a public standby line, which historically, knock on wood, Almost everyone on those standby lines have gotten into the presentations. It's a standby line, so they go in last. They actually go in as the current speeches are happening. Um, but also, if you're just a fan of musical theater and you want to know what's happening around the country, if you check out www.namt.org, we have uh, a blog that we kind of keep track of what our members are doing. You can also become an associate member if you meet the criteria. But you know what I really think is important if you want to be a member of this industry and you want to be in musical theaters or you're just a big fan of musical theater is um, try to learn as much as you can. I thought I knew a ton about musical theater and I thought I knew what was going on around the country when I took this job almost seven and a half years ago and um, I am daily amazed by what our members are doing and what our writers are doing around the country that I do not think it's enough recognition. We're so focused on New York um, and it doesn't help that I'm in New York but you know the work that Theater Latte Da is doing that um, these theaters all around the country that don't get recognition is amazing and they are truly what's leading the field. The regionals are truly what's growing the field and changing the field. New York tends to be the finish line for some of those shows, but I think that um, you know you should look into what's happening in your neighborhood, what's happening at your theater, and uh, don't be as focused on New York because beautiful things happen in your backyard. You never know when something in your backyard is going to suddenly jump to Broadway and change the world. Thank you very much for coming down to talk about NAM, Brandon and Peter. And uh, best of luck with this festival coming on October, those coming up. And hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll have more than 220 submissions and you'll be swamped and going, damn it, I wish I hadn't done this podcast because now we have everything. Bring it on. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. This is Joe McGinty at Sid Gold's Request Room. Check out my interview on the next episode of Broadway Bullet. Book Drop. All right, we got a free book to give away here. This is The Marvels by Brian Selznick. He's the Caldecott Award winner and bookmaking trailblazer, once again playing with the form he invented and delivers a moving and mesmerizing adventure about the power of story. Two seemingly unrelated stories, one in words, the other in pictures, come together with spellbinding synergy. The illustrated story begins in 1766 with Billy Marvel, the lone survivor of a shipwreck, and charts the adventures of his family of actors over five generations. 
The prose story opens in 1990 and follows Joseph, who has run away from school to an estranged uncle's puzzling house in London, where he, along with the reader, must piece together many mysteries. How the picture and word stories intersect will leave readers marveling over Selznick's storytelling prowess. Filled with mystery, vibrant characters, surprise twists, and heart-rending beauty, and featuring Selznick's most arresting art to date, The Marvels is a moving tribute to the power of story. And I do got to tell you guys, while I don't have the hardcover version, they sent me an advanced copy, um, and the prize is a hardcover one, by the way, but the artwork is beautiful, and uh, it really makes it worth having the physical book and not just a Kindle. So this is a great way to uh, maybe give a story to those uh, young readers that you know. So if you're interested in entering to win, we got at least one copy to give away. I wasn't sure we might have one or two more, but all you have to do is go to broadwaybullet.com and register for our mailing list. All new registrants will be entered to win, and I will draw just before the next episode on October 6th and announce the winner in the next program. So if you are already on our mailing list, you can email broadwaybulletnyc at gmail.com, and we'll enter you to win. All right, once again, that's Marvels by Brian Selznick. It just came out uh, today, the September 15th. So... You're getting in right on top of it. Listening room. Before we close this out, we've actually got one more song for you from Daddy Long Legs. This song is called Things I Didn't Know. Dear Daddy, did you ever hear of Michelangelo? He was a famous artist who lived in Italy in the Middle Ages. The whole class laughed because I thought he was an archangel. Doesn't he sound like one? Even more embarrassing, somebody mentioned Florence Nightingale, and I asked if she was a freshman. That joke has gone all over college. You wouldn't believe, Daddy, what an abyss of ignorance my mind is. The things that most girls with a properly assorted family and friends in a library know by absorption, I've never even heard of. I didn't know that Henry VIII was married more than once, or Shelley was a poet. I didn't know Alexander the Great had conquered most of Greece, or people came from monkeys. I didn't know that the Garden of Eden was all just a beautiful myth. I never read Great Expectations, Summer on the Lake, Euripides, Electra. I never met the two noble kinsmen or ever came across the Merry Wives of Windsor. I always feel like I'm Alice in Wonderland, stranded in Vanity Fair. Once upon a time, oh Captain, my Captain, I'm so many years behind. I'm still so many years behind. I didn't know that she'd be so clever. I never dreamed of such imagination. I never read thoughts so expressive. I really must abstain. Well, maybe one more letter. What am I thinking? I'm missing appointments to read what she studied in French. I'm baffled and perplexed. Oh, Captain, my Captain, I really must get back to work. I wonder what you'll write me next. I'd never heard of Meg, Joe, Beth, or Amy. I'd never been to Dover Beach or heard the phrase a man's reach should exceed his grasp. the toilers of the sea oh captain my captain all the world is verse to me a lady with a lamp i see now daddy i must sleep but i will think of you for daddy i know there is still much catching up to do Curtain call. Well, that about wraps things up for this episode. 
Um, our next episode is going to be first Tuesday of October, October 6th. And I really urge you to check this out. We've got Reggie Watts. Uh, I got him in the studio. We talked with him for 70 minutes. It's going to be really hard doing the 15 minute edit, but like always with all of our interviews, if you want to check, we will be putting up the full unedited interview. Uh, part of why I really urge you to check this out is Reggie Watts. Um, if you don't know him, you might recognize by the description. He has the big black Afro. He is now the music band leader on the late, late show with James Corden. He did comedy bang, bang. Uh, he's done comedy and a lot of things. He's appeared on the Conan O'Brien show multiple times. He has indeed done live theater in New York. And, uh, actually his background is live theater, but why you should listen is because we were good friends in high school. Um, and <laughs> so I know him pretty well. So I got to give a different perspective on uh, what he's been going through. And I hope you'll tune in and check it out because it's definitely a different sort of interview with Reggie Watts. As always, I really encourage you tell your friends who love theater about this podcast. If you're a theater major or you're a high school student who studies theater, uh, let your friends there know. Let your professors know. Uh, maybe they'll help spread the word. I really do like to look at this as an educational as well as an entertaining podcast. So if you fit those areas, please, please, especially let people know. And with that, I will let you all get back to your lives, back to your theater or your day job or your school or whatever you do. And I welcome you back on October 6th. Broadway Bullet, I'm Michael Gilbo, your host, as well as producer, our associate producer, Caroline Reyes out of Texas. And one last thank you again to Sid Gold's Request Room, the new piano bar in NYC. You really should check it out. It's a cool place and uh, not the typical hang at all. There's no cover, drinks are reasonable, and it's a lot of fun. So again, Sid Gold's Request Room, thanks so much for being our location sponsor. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.